This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 297. <laughs> <laughs> what? That was pretty good. That was pretty... Yeah, that was... That was uh, okay. No it comment. Was, it was good. It was good. Thank you. Uh... <laughs> Welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, here with uh, my compadre, singing compadre. Musically talented. I'm leaving that in the original edit, by the way. Sure. That's fine. That's, that's fine. The truth is I'm like the least musically enabled person in our entire company, probably. Uh, people don't know that Riley's like a semi-professional singer. And I do not do anything musical. Semi-professional. I think those are your words. You've used the words semi-professional. Oh, well, I I think I said, I think. I sang in like a semi-professional choir. That could be what I'm remembering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can run with your semi-professional singer. Okay, all right, all right. There you go. Probably actually a better piano player than I am a singer. Uh, So welcome to tonight's edition of the podcast. We're recording this super late. Uh, Tuesday night, uh, we're uh, down at this uh, conference, and uh, whoa, whoa, you're distracting me, dude. I'm trying to do a podcast here. So, so well, there's a comment here. Someone wants to know if I'm in a bathroom based on my backdrop, <laughs> and so I had I had to move the camera a little bit so that Cammy would recognize that I'm sitting at a dining room table. <laughs> the, the, right, this right. This is the the, the the living room window here. So we are we we are in an Airbnb. Uh, is where we're staying. We've got a couple of our, our team members here. Hey, hey, here's Mitch in his jammies. <laughs> Say hello, Mitch, so the people hear you on the... I don't know if they can hear me. Hey, yeah. hey guys, how are you, how are right you here, doing? Right here, right here. See, this right is where there. it records. I don't want to get that close to your mouth. <laughs> I don't want you to get that close to my mouth either. So, uh, anyway, this is going to be a really different uh, episode than usual. First of all, it's our first ever legislative updates only edition, you know, since we started the new format. Uh, second of all, it is late. We are tired, and our silliest, craziest, uh, most entertaining episodes, maybe, depending on who you are, <laughs> happen late at night when Jacob and I are exhausted after a day of training or learning or education or whatever. Uh, and we don't have our usual setup, so we're kind of shooting from the hip in some some regards here. So it'll be a different episode, but thanks for joining with us. And uh, yeah, we're, we're really pleased to, to be here and able to still do the podcast, even though we are hundreds and hundreds of miles away from home. Uh, tonight, being the legislative updates, we got a whole bunch of news stories. We're covering some stories on how uh, anti-gunners are totally okay with restricting our gun rights of law-abiding citizens, but then turn right around and say, oh, but we don't want to report anything to uh, ICE, you know, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, on any illegal immigrants that come up in background checks. You know, any illegal immigrants that try to buy a gun from a dealer, try to get through a background check, it gets flagged. And basically, they're saying, no, we don't want to notify law enforcement that these, you know, illegal immigrants didn't pass a background check. But then again, they do want to notify when it's a like an you know, a citizen, a US citizen, right? So interesting stuff like that we'll be talking about tonight. Also, uh, Los Angeles has decided it doesn't want to do business with anybody that supports the NRA. That's not like, you know, unfair or anything, right? Uh, what else, Jacob? Anything else you want to preview? Um, we're going to talk about South Dakota. Uh, we're going to talk about Nevada. We're going to talk about South Carolina. We're talking about Minnesota and Nebraska. Yeah. Oh, we've got some uh, reciprocity updates. Oh, so yeah. for some of you listening, you may be able to now carry in a new state. Yeah. Which might be kind of exciting, right? Bonus. For some of you. We're going to talk about New York. Yep, for sure. Yeah. So it'll be a good, it's shaping up to be a great episode. Tonight's episode is made possible and brought to you by Guardian Nation. Go sign up for Guardian Nation right now as soon as you hear this because here's the deal. If you're not already a member and you want to get in on the next Guardian Gear box, ships in May. We just shipped one this month because they ship once every quarter, every three months, February, May, August, and November. Good job. Did I get it? Sweet. Yep. Boom. You know, we, we did a really dumb thing and 
didn't pick January, April, July, October, which would probably be, in my mind, would compute a little bit easier. I think we had a real reason at some point, and it's just, it's been years now. I don't, <laughs> like, I'm confident we had a reason for that. Anyway, next box ships in May, and you have two more days to get signed up, because if you're not signed up by the end of the month of February, as a monthly paying member, then you miss out on the box. Then you'd have to sign up as a quarterly member if you wanted to qualify for the box, or yearly. Yes. If you're not a member yet, go do it now. Do it before midnight on February 28th, and then you will get the May box. And the box which is shipped in February is getting, being very well received. Uh, members yes. who get the February box are getting a sweet leather holster for the gun of choice. Yep. And they're getting a ankle ankle cuff. IFAC. IFAC. In, uh, individual first aid kit, or AFAC, ankle first aid kit, I guess. Here's yeah, mine. That sounds... Like we're making words up now. No, and then, I, I know it's a it's thing. A, it's I'm a just, thing. I'm just saying that it shouldn't be a thing. Um, and also a snag mag, which is a spare mag carrier. So uh, a lot of good things that went out in the February box. The total value of that was like 140 something bucks. So it makes a lot of sense to join Guardian Nation and get free stuff, and also all the training and stuff and stuff. Yeah, and more stuff. Yep. <laughs> also a sponsor of tonight's episode is Real Avid, and they're great tools they have available for cleaning, maintaining, and taking care of your guns. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash real avid, R-E-A-L-A-V-I-D, concealedcarry.com forward slash real avid, and check out the full lineup of, of real avid products that we have available right now in our online store. Uh, they're they're great. The Bore Boss is awesome. I just demonstrated that recently on an episode of Shop Talk. Uh, people seem to really like that. Uh We've got the pistol tool, tool, I think, is one that you've got and really like, Jacob. I love the pistol tool. It's yeah. it's just, uh, it looks like a Leatherman, but it's just for gun. <laughs> yeah. And they, they actually have, they have a pistol tool, and then they also have a dedicated tool for AR-15s, and then they have another one that's a dedicated tool for the AK-47 platform. And then they have one that's just called the gun tool, and then they have the gun tool pro. So you can look at all those and decide what you want to have, but I, I have the pistol tool, and I really appreciate it. I like it. It has all the different bits. It has a knife. Uh, it has punches. It, I think it's just a really good, solid tool, and I'm, I'm just a fan of all. I think Real Avid... Yeah. It's funny because we basically created the gun tools category, product category in our online store, and it's just so we could add real avid products somewhere. It's so like yeah. the entire product category is real avid products. You know, we don't even have a fraction of their entire catalog. No, of tools. they have a huge catalog. Yeah. Uh, it's really impressive. And as we are able to, we'll add more. But uh, right now, there's already a, a great selection. I think their micro tool for the AR-15 is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of little tool, nifty tools for yep. cleaning your, your bolt carrier group, your actual bolt itself. Uh, I mean, all kinds of this stuff. This is very affordable stuff. Like their yes. coolest products are like forty dollars. Yeah, very, very reasonable yeah. for what you get. I think absolutely. I wish that they were more expensive. We'd make more money. <laughs> Speaking of real avid uh, tonight in the podcast, we are announcing this week's weekly podcast giveaway winner, and the winner is getting a real avid product. And in fact, it is the real avid multi cutter multi tool. It's not even something we have in the store for some reason. Uh, <laughs> we can't sell it in the store. It's oh, just, yeah. It's, it's got sharp pointy has objects. A, so does the pistol tool, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> it's a little more covert. <laughs> Folks, you may not know, but we actually don't, by policy, generally sell anything in, this, in the store that has knives or ammunition or stuff. If it's considered a weapon by Facebook or Amazon because or of... Or Google. All of the advertising we do on those platforms, we don't sell it. Yeah. So I know. Yeah. That probably makes – somewhere right now, I guarantee you, Jacob, somewhere out there right now, somebody listening is like, why don't you boycott those platforms? Because this podcast would go away. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we would cease to exist. You know, I have a lot of respect. Here, here's just a thought for that. We, I have a lot of respect for businesses that have built a business model where they are able to to boycott all those platforms and they're able to do business despite them all. I mean, I mean it's not just that. Business insurance. Uh, we just, in fact, just changed our liability policy. Uh, and, and that was a hassle. Man, we, even, even not selling all those things, we had dozens of insurance companies who turned us down because we're even associated with the gun industry, mm-hmm. uh, even though you can't buy a buck knife from us. Um, you know, then we talk about merchant merchant credit card services. You know, all the companies that we can't take 
credit card charges uh, on our website from those companies because we may, we may be associated with it. So anyway, the long and short of it is I'm very, uh, I'm very respectful of and, uh, and I think it's pretty admirable of the companies that are out there that are selling you things like knives, uh, guns, gun parts, etc. You should know that they deal with some very serious um, business challenges that they have to overcome in order to do that. And currently for us, we're not in a position uh, to stay in business and, and you know. Yeah, that's true. We would not, not yeah. we would not be in business if we couldn't advertise on Facebook. Yeah, or or Google. Or Google. Or sell stuff on Amazon and take credit yeah. card charges via your popular merchant providers. So love that or hate it, I don't know. I don't care because I, I like having a job. Yeah, <laughs> if you guys like this podcast, then that's what, you, that's what you have to deal with for now. All right. Um, so let's see. That brings us up to case of the week. So we're going to go ahead and cue that up for you now. So, folks, uh, take a listen to this latest case from Andrew Branca at Law of Self-Defense. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self-Defense, and this case of the week involves an acquittal in a murder case out of Louisiana that provides a real-time illustration of the difference between the application of what I refer to as hard stand-your-ground provisions versus soft stand-your-ground provisions. All the details here are as reported by the news organization The Advocate out of Louisiana and other news sources. Those are linked in the text version of this case of the week, which you can find at lawselfdefense.com forward slash blog. The facts of the case involve a barehanded attack by a large aggressor against a smaller defender, one Jacob Westbrook, who would be the defendant in this trial. Westbrook was armed with a knife, Westbrook would testify at trial that he had never been in a fight before, and he stabbed the aggressor once in the chest after, Westbrook says, the larger and stronger aggressor punched him in the head. should be noted that Westbrook was 16 years old at the time of these events. It's noteworthy also that the aggressor was a guest, perhaps little wanted, in Westbrook's home at the time of the conflict. Now, one tactical lesson emerges from the trial, and that is how dangerous edged weapons are even absent meaningful training or experience on the part of the person wielding the edged weapon. Testimony at trial would be that Westbrook had little or no fighting experience generally and no known expertise in the use of a knife for serious social purposes. Despite this lack of training or expertise, that single knife thrust was sufficient to penetrate the upper chest, lung, and heart of the aggressor. The victim of that stab would die shortly afterward. Lesson, knives are dangerous, folks, even in the hands of the untrained. Now, one of the key issues at the trial that we're interested in here in this case of the week is the element of avoidance of a self-defense claim. The witness testimony, including from defendant Westbrook, who testified on his own behalf, was inconsistent on many issues relevant to self-defense, and of course, the prosecution sought to exploit each of those inconsistencies to attack Westbrook's claim of self-defense. One of the key issues centered on the element of avoidance. Avoidance, generally speaking, has to do with whether a defender has a legal duty to retreat before using force in self-defense, if a completely safe avenue of retreat is available. There are about 13 states that impose such a legal duty to retreat, and those can be referred to as the duty to retreat states. The large majority of states, more than three-fourths, are in effect stand-your-ground states and that they do not impose a legal duty to retreat before using force in self-defense, even if a safe avenue of retreat is possible. In all stand-your-ground states, this freedom from a duty to retreat is contingent on the defender not being the aggressor in the fight. And in many stand-your-ground states, there are additional conditions that must be met, such as not being engaged in unlawful activity, such as being in a place they have a right to be. There is, however, another less explicitly recognized variance or distinction in stand-your-ground provisions, and that is the distinction between hard and soft stand-your-ground states. On the one hand, a state's stand-your-ground law might completely take the issue of retreat off the table as a target of attack by prosecutors on a claim of self-defense. On the other hand, instead, the state might alternatively allow prosecutors to target a failure to retreat 
on the basis that such a failure means that the defender acted unreasonably, rather than attacking the failure to retreat on the basis that it was a violation of a legal duty to retreat. These two different approaches can be termed hard standard ground, where the issue of retreat has been taken completely off the table, and soft standard ground, where the issue of retreat can still be argued in the context of the element of reasonableness. Unfortunately, only a minority of standard ground states qualify as hard standard ground jurisdictions in which the issue of retreat is completely off the table. In these states, you can generally find this hard prohibition on considering the issue of retreat or avoidance as an element of self-defense written explicitly into the state's self-defense statutory language. The large majority of standard ground states, however, do not have such an explicit prohibition on considering the reasonableness of a failure to retreat. Indeed, the case law from this majority of standard ground states rather consistently holds that even where they do not impose a legal duty to retreat when safely possible, they will still require a defender to have acted reasonably, and a failure to retreat can be considered by the jury in deciding whether the defender's conduct was reasonable. If that use of force was unreasonable, perhaps in part because the defender failed to take advantage of a safe avenue of retreat, then it fails the required element of reasonableness for a valid justification of self-defense, and that defender's use of force is unlawful. Prosecutors in soft stand-your-ground states can thus engage in a kind of backdoor attack on a defendant who's failed to take advantage of a safe avenue of retreat. They can't argue to the jury that the defendant had a legal duty to retreat because there is no such legal duty in any stand-your-ground state. They can, however, argue that the failure to retreat, while not a violation of a legal duty, was nevertheless unreasonable and self-defense must be reasonable and therefore the claimed defensive use of force does not qualify as self-defense and was instead unlawful. Louisiana, where this case of the week took place, is among the minority of stand-your-ground states that fall into the hard stand-your-ground category. The explicit prohibition on attacking a failure to retreat on the basis of reasonableness can be found in the relevant Louisiana Statute 1420 on Justifiable Homicide, which provides in relevant part, quote, no finder of fact, which usually means the jury, shall be permitted to consider the possibility of retreat as a factor in determining whether or not the person who used deadly force had a reasonable belief that deadly force was reasonable and apparently necessary to prevent a violent or forcible felony involving life or great bodily harm or to prevent the unlawful entry into highly defensible property. So there's the explicit prohibition under Louisiana law of the prosecutor attempting to make that avoidance wasn't a duty, but failure to do so was unreasonable argument. Now, you may be surprised, or perhaps not, to learn that this explicit statutory prohibition on arguing the reasonableness of a failure to retreat did not, in this case, prevent the prosecution from trying to do exactly what the statute says they aren't allowed to do. Attack defendant Westbrook's claim of self-defense on the basis that his failure to avoid the fight was unreasonable. In fact, the prosecution sought to be able to bake that legal argument into the jury instructions as early as jury selection for the trial. When the trial judge rejected the prosecution's attempt, the prosecution sought to have the judge's rejection overturned on appeal. Fortunately for the defense, the state appellate court upheld the trial judge's rejection. Incidentally, it's worth noting that the racial grievance industrial complex, broadly defined to include the mainstream media, has been engaged in a massive propaganda campaign to portray stand-your-ground laws as inherently racist. They've been doing so at least since the 2013 acquittal of George Zimmerman, which was a case, ironically enough, that had nothing whatever to do with stand-your-ground. Given that propaganda campaign by the media and social justice warrior and racial grievance activist against Stand Your Ground, it's perhaps worth noting that the defendant Westbrook, whose claim of self-defense was likely saved by Louisiana's hard Stand Your Ground law in this case, is, wait for it, black. If you enjoyed this case of the week, I urge you to take a look at the Law of Self-Defense blog, the premier source for authoritative self-defense law education and insight. There's always free content available, as well as premium content for the Law of Self-Defense community. 
Just point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash blog. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self-Defense. We just really appreciate working with Andrew Branca and uh, that he takes the time to put together those cases of the week each week, uh, especially for podcasts like ours. Uh, highly valuable information, uh, you know, like he just shared uh, just now. So anyway, uh, we're going to move right along, though, because we have a ton of content we got to cover tonight still. So uh, first, legislative news update. Uh, this is kind of a big one to me because recently I had the pleasure of interviewing Adam Kraut. On the podcast, uh, if you missed that one, that was episode two ninety four, I think. I think that's right, uh, but somewhere around there. It was just a couple episodes ago, and I had Adam Adam Crowd on. Uh, he is an attorney. He's running for the board of directors of the NRA. Uh, he works with uh, Firearms Policy Foundation and a few other organizations at times on court cases dealing with the Second Amendment. And right now, they are working or have been working. Well, they still are working on it. So, But they've been working on this lawsuit of the federal government over this bump stock ban that was regulatory, right? So the Trump administration commanded that the ATF uh, look at bump stocks and consider. They've put a lot of pressure on, you know, outlawing bump stocks, right? So the Firearm Policy Foundation sued. Uh, and I think also Gun Owners of America was involved in that as well. Yeah, yeah. So they sued, and that, for whatever reason, went to a federal court based in Washington State. That's where the lawsuit originated in. And the news is that the, that a federal judge there uphold, upheld the Trump administration's ban on rapid fire bump stocks. So this is just this is very early in this case. So that's the first step. Already, there's a statement out from the Firearm Policy Coalition, uh, firearmspolicy.org, and they have said here, this, this is a joint statement uh, from, from them, and it says the case Firearm Policy Coalition versus Whitaker, uh, which challenges the bump stock, was... The, they were they were going for a temporary injunction, right? Which is what you do. So this this regulation was passed... Uh, by the or put into effect by the ATF, proposed by the ATF, and, and then said it's going to go into effect by a certain date. And th- this case is saying, whoa, 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 we want to have a, a temporary, you know, hold put on that. Like, don't put that into effect yet because of these various reasons, which we are suing the government for. Uh, so that injunction was not granted. So basically, according to this statement from the Firearm Policies Co- Firearms Policy Coalition, they are, have already appealed the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia um, and will be moving to expedite that that appeal. So that's where it stands. So folks, if you listen to that interview with Adam Kraut and if, you were, if you've been following this case at all, uh, yeah, away it goes. It's going to go through the process. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> it'll, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, it's uh, for me, it's hard to argue that the ATF doesn't have the right to define... Um, yeah, you know, bump stocks in the category that they want, but uh, we'll. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll keep an eye on it. We'll see what, how that comes out. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, they they took something that by definition didn't fit any of the other restricted categories, but then somehow twisted it to fit. So anyway, yeah, but it's not legislative, right? I mean, the my point is, is like they, these are rules written by right. an independent government agency, and they can. They can write rules as they see fit. They do it all the time. Well, but when they violate law, then we have a problem. And that's what yeah. that's what this case is is supposing. Right, 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 right. right. All right. Next story. Uh, Nevada governor signs Bloomberg background check bill criminalizing private firearm transfers. I'll just take the lead on this, but to set the stage, you know, a couple of years ago, citizens of Nevada had a ballot vote to basically have universal background checks. And that kind of, I mean, it passed, but just barely, but it was a horribly flawed uh, ballot measure. And so what, what's what's the deal here, Jacob? 
I'm just glad the drama's over. I'm sad that it went the way it went, but my goodness, I'm, I'm so tired of talking about Nevada. It's universal background checks. Uh, two, so, two years almost, well, two and a half years almost. <laughs> yeah, so so as you said, they passed the law previously, but then the, the Nevada Attorney General basically said that the way the law was worded was illegal because it was basically supposing that the, the state of Nevada could command the FBI to do certain things. And they didn't have the authority to do that. And so the bill was basically said, you know, this is unenforceable, therefore useless. So now, you know, some geniuses have said, oh, well, we got we to gotta write it correctly. And they took the, the template that Bloomberg provides that's been used in several other states. And they pushed it through this time and it, and it passed. And now it's been uh, signed by the governor. Sisolak, is that how you pronounce this dude's name? Governor's? I remember trying to pronounce Sis- Lake. <laughs> I want to go with Sisolak. Lake. Sisolak. No. Sice Sisolak. Sice. Okay. Sisolak. <laughs> okay. So the governor in Nevada has signed this beast. And so that deal is done. So this is this is universal background check. So with yeah. limited ex- exceptions, right, which probably a couple family members or something like that, in order to transfer a firearm from one individual to another, whether permanently or temporarily in the state of Nevada, uh, the recipient, the person on the receiving end of that gun needs to needs to undergo a background check. And both the seller and the buyer or the uh, the receiver and the provider, because yeah. uh, it doesn't have to be a, a cash transaction. Um, they have to. They're both potentially liable if that background check is not performed, and that per, that creates both the time, energy, and cost associated with the transfer of a firearm from one individual to another. So, that's right. that's the story. Um, so, the you know the way this. So, congrats, Nevada. I'm saying that facetiously, obviously, but uh, congrats. You have now joined the likes of states like Colorado, uh, California probably all of the northeastern states or a good chunk of them anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the way that works for us in Colorado where Jacob and I live is if you want to transfer a firearm, and I did this once to Jacob. I, I transferred a gun to Jacob. Uh, he paid me a hefty sum. <laughs> not really. No, not really. Uh, and, and so we had to actually go to a an FFL dealer, and that dealer then handled that transfer for us, ran the background check on Jacob, uh, paid him, you know, paid the dealers some money for that process, right? It's mandated in Colorado, by the way. It actually says, like, you know, the citizen has to pay that fee for the background check. Didn't always used to be that way in Colorado. Well, the state fee plus the dealer, the dealer has the option sure, sure. to charge whatever right. they choose. Right, right. And so that's how the, that's how that universal background check typically works in in most cases is something like that. I mean, you can essentially negotiate privately with an individual, but to actually facilitate the deal, you're supposed to go to a dealer. So, so here, are the, here are states who currently have universal background check laws. Okay. <clears throat> Oregon, California, Colorado, Nevada, Illinois, New York, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware, and D.C. Now, mm. the following states also have universal background checks for handguns only. Not all guns, but handguns only. Oh, right. Nebraska, Iowa, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and North Carolina. Oh, I missed Hawaii too, by the way. Hawaii. I was going to say, yeah. <clears throat> Hawaii also has Hawaii's universal background checks. Got to be in there. So anyway, the the number, the list of these states is getting very uh, is starting to get longer. And as we all know, this is probably the the lowest hanging fruit, uh, and, and uh, at the federal level, this is the thing that's currently being proposed at the federal level that actually, in my opinion, has some some yeah. some chances of passing. J- so here's the thing. I, I haven't really dived deep into Colorado uh, justice statistics yet, uh, but it is an attend of mine. But I have looked pretty closely at, at California's. And basically, and this should come as no surprise to anybody, there is zero correlation between passing universal background check laws and any sort of reduction in crime or even... Well, that, that's really what they tell us, tell us it's for, right? Is to keep guns from falling into the wrong hands to close these loopholes that supposedly exist. Uh, I've been looking very closely the last couple months. I've been researching, you know, more deep, more deeper and deeper into California and looking at kind of the history of things in California. And there's, I can't find any correlation, you know, that would suggest at all. Oh, hey, we passed universal background checks and it made things safer. And the same is true in Colorado. We've had it now for five plus years, and there is zero indication. In fact, gun crime or not violent crime period has actually increased in Colorado 
since that was passed. And I'm not saying that's because it was passed that it's increased. Uh, that, not necessarily that there's correlation or, or causation, but you know, just conveniently or coincidentally that you know crime has gone up in Colorado since universal background checks were passed uh, for whatever reason, right? So the point is, is that clearly that they say this is to close loopholes and make things safer, but it doesn't seem that that's actually the case. Well, I don't, and I don't want to drag this on, but yeah. <clears throat> here, here's here's the problem. We're never going to have concise enough data to prove the point on either side of this debate until yeah. or if if and until it's passed at a federal level. Because right, the challenge that exists right now is that the if we if we say things like, oh, the data says that it's not making any difference, an anti-gunner is going to say, well, of course it's not because all the criminals are just going to X other state nearby where sure. where private transfers are not criminalized and that's where they're getting their guns and they're bringing them in. And the data would suggest that that's actually often is true. That's not entirely wrong. It, it is wrong. true somewhat. We did have that story not too long ago, uh, the data out of... Maryland, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Baltimore, and it was still a relatively low percentage, well, but it is still something that a, does happen. It is happen. a reality, and I think what we have to accept uh, is that a anti-gunners aren't always wrong. It's just that the sometimes the the correlation that they draw is wrong. And here is the point: criminals will always find a, a way. They'll always find a way to get the gun, yeah. and they'll always take the path of least resistance. You know, so you know, it's a bigger problem. Sure. Based on Denver PD's own, well, they didn't say it this way, but uh, I watched a press conference not that long ago where Denver was like pleading with the public, help us not allow guns to get stolen. Oh, out of cars. Yeah, I, yeah. Re- I remember this. Yeah. You know? So the, the point is criminals always take the path of least resistance, whatever's the le- easiest way to get guns. And so if you close one, I'll call it loophole for the fun of, of, of our anti-gunner audience, yeah. then another one will be opened. Like they'll find some other way. So you, you know, anyway, the point yeah. is I don't think that we'll actually get conclusive data that's useful to anybody that right. people will believe uh, until and if it gets passed federally. Not that I'm suggesting I want and, it and passed. And even even then, like you know, I don't know. They they'll yeah. just they'll just move on to the next thing too sure. on their sure. list, right? Now, there's a cor- uh, related article here that is kind of interesting. So go check this out in the show notes. Uh, and, and this episode show notes can be found at concealedcarry.com forward slash episode two nine seven. This one's titled "Bloomberg's Every Town: Criminalizing Private Transfers is About Creating Quote Culture of Compliance." End quote. And just going into this a little bit, uh, basically, uh, there was a hearing surrounding this Nevada uh, Senate bill for universal background checks, and State Assemblyman, uh, a State Assemblyman by the name of Tom Roberts, asked. Every town for gun safety representative William Rosen, he's an attorney for for that organization. He asked Rosen, okay, about you know what he thought about how law enforcement would enforce and prosecute these cases. Basically, if citizens whether they would abide by this universal background check requirement, and in cases where they might not, how would law enforcement enforce that? And Rosen basically explained. The ultimate goal of this type of legislation is not to put people in jail, but rather to create a culture of compliance where law-abiding gun sellers require background checks. Whatever the heck that means. We want to create a culture. I mean, so basically it's it's a it's a hope and a wish that we we just believe that because law-abiding gun owners are in fact by definition law-abiding that they will voluntarily comply with this law and that somehow magically will make things better. I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, you can read into that. It's lots of different ways. They're basically basically admitting that we know this isn't going to do anything really for criminals. Right, right. But, you know, yeah. Whatever. Anyway, all right, moving on. Next story NRA ILA reports turning your right into a privilege. HR 1112 gives feds unfettered power to block gun sales. This is a proposed bill in the House, of course, federally. Uh, so charge being led by the likes of Nancy Pelosi and Diane Feinstein and so forth. Um, this bill is intended to target the supposedly, you know, they, they call this the Charleston loophole, which is, you know, well, this crazy person somehow got a hold of this gun, right, in Charleston and went to that church and shot it up, right? So basically the goal with, or what would happen with this House Resolution 1112 is it would eliminate the three-day safety valve provision under the federal firearms background check system. So basically what this is, 
and I'll let you jump in and explain some of this because I think you understand this pretty well too, Jacob. Um, but basically, right now as it stands, you go to a dealer to purchase a gun and they run a background check and it's it goes through the NICS system and it has to give you a response back, right? Like typically immediately, like within about 10, 15, 20 minutes, you get a response, this person is okay to purchase a gun. But occasionally it doesn't give a response and it says, no, it's going to take a little bit longer. Well, by statute, by law, federal law, the FBI has three days to investigate that and report back and say whether, you know, give that that finding of whether this person is okay to buy that gun or not. And if they can't give a response within three days, then the dealer basically gets to make the judgment call and they are allowed to go ahead and proceed with the sale if, the, you know, if they feel that they can. So... This law, HR 1112, would do away with that, and basically you'd have a certain period, you know, you'd have 30 days, I think it is, to uh, petition and say, hey, I was turned down, uh, why? And But you can't file that petition, actually, if I'm not mistaken. I, For 10 days. Yeah, yep. you got to wait 10 business days. Right. So, so here, here right? it is. The current, the current law says... The the NIC system has three days to respond, and if they don't, then the dealer can transfer the gun to the to the buyer. Right. This current law also says that a NIC's background check is valid for thirty days from the date it is initiated. Okay, that's what the current law says. Now the new law proposal is um, okay. Three days goes by; it means nothing. Instead, we're going to say ten days can go by. Now after ten days, it does it doesn't now mean that the dealer can just transfer the gun to the buyer like the current three day law. It means that now that ten days has gone by and you still haven't received a response from Nick's system, the buyer can now appeal, can now file something right. to the FBI and say, "Hey, um, it's been ten days and I'm still waiting, so I, I'm petitioning you to to let me proceed." Okay. Now the there's a problem with this. The problem is that an additional ten days can go by uh, by the FBI. Okay, additional ten days can go by by the FBI to for them to respond to that petition. Mm. Now, here's gets, gets messy. These ten days are business days. Yep. So, but but the the law says that a NICS background check is only good for thirty calendar days. So you start doing the math on this, and this could actually create a, a constant re, re, re loop, yeah. where a person in theory could could try and buy a gun on a certain day, and depending on where it falls on a week or weekend, ten business days could go by, but that could be twelve, thirteen uh, calendar days, and then they can appeal the FBI, and then the FBI can take an additional ten days to say yay or nay. So twenty business days have gone by, but meanwhile, twenty five, twenty six calendar days have gone by, yeah. and you hit a thirty day calendar day point. Guess what? The whole thing's void, null, and now you have to start and you have over. To start over, and this is particularly an issue around the holidays. Yeah, like on Black Friday when Nick's background checks often are ta- are backlogged five, six, seven days, and the the dealers generally are doing what? Well, they're waiting the three days. They're saying, "Well, it's been the three days. Let's do the transfer anyway." So anyway, it, is it a backdoor way to create gun control? Uh, maybe I don't think it's really relevant. I think the point is that it's it's really creating a burden on the you know, the gun owner and the dealer and the FBI that is both unfair, unjust, and, and, and will prevent people from getting guns in a timely manner. Uh, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine the workload the FBI would get if gun owners start having to file appeals after 10 days of not getting a next return? I mean, it's crazy. And the FBI only has 10 days to respond to that. Shoot, man, it takes the IRS three years <laughs> just to audit a tax return. Yeah. So I, I, ha- I, just, I just don't think this is realistic. Yep. So the, the kind of the main image, if you go to this story, uh, you'll see here this image is a right delayed is a right denied. Uh, and I believe that is true, right? Because, I mean, if you have a right, you have a right. And if you are de- de- delayed for an unreasonable amount of time from being able to pursue a particular right, Second Amendment certainly is a protected right, then they are denying you that right. And it's something, you know, in, in this example, where if the calendar days and everything line up just right, you could be delayed for a considerable amount of time from per- being able to purchase a gun, even though you may be a you know, perfectly law-abiding citizen. And that's the thing. With situations like this, one of the reasons why there may be an issue with processing that, 
that background check is because you have a very common name, like John Smith. There's a gazillion John Smiths, and many of those are criminals, unfortunately. And if for some reason, and you know, and actually, I, I, I read a story not too long ago. I, I think it was in a magazine, or maybe it was something I found online, but it was sharing the story of one individual that uh, constantly would have, you know, every time he went, would, would, would go to buy a gun, he would, he would have to go through the same hoop. And that you can actually apply for a special identification number, actually, which is granted by, I think, the ATF uh, to sort of fast track you. When you're kind of in, when you're one of those individuals that is unlucky to have a name and other identifying information that mixes you up with somebody else in their sure. system, you can actually get a special number that sort of like overrides that. Uh, but it's still like a, a really pain in the butt process. So anyway, the point is here, we, we we believe in due process. That's also a constitutionally protected right. And if something is being delayed unreasonably, then you're kind of not really getting due process. Right. Yeah, you're not getting access to your rights. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go now to the city of L.A. Oh, yes. Los California. Angeles. Los Angeles, California. So this, uh, this, I found this story really quite interesting. Why this is even an issue is just mind-boggling to me. But the city of Los Angeles has decided that it will not allow contractors that work with the city. To bid on city contracts. Yeah. Anyone that would bid on a city contract, you cannot do so, or they will not accept your bid if you support the NRA in any way. Right. If you're a member, member or, or you've, you've donated, donated money. Right. Yep. Yep. So I, I guess that's on the application. <laughs> so Apparently. I don't, they, I don't know how they're going to get the data otherwise. So it's like, you know, how long have you been in the construction industry? 10 years. Uh, do you have a general contractor's license? Yes. Have you donated to or are you a member of the NRA? Or have you been at any given time? No. <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I guess that's, it's, it's got to be self-reported. It's just amazing. You know, it's such, it, honestly, this is childish to me. Yeah, it is childish. It's it's this whole like we feel like we have to do something, and so therefore we will do anything uh, that we think we have the power to do. Uh, it's discrimination. Yeah, I mean, I, I I mean, would you imagine the uproar if they said we won't take, uh, you know, we won't allow you to bid on a city contract if you are uh, part of the LGBTQ whatever it's called community today? Well, that's a protected class, uh, indeed. <laughs> uh, or if you are this old, <laughs> but. Or if you are Second this young, Amendment is and and freedom of speech <laughs> right. is also so, so that's my point is like right? it, you know, and that's what this this is more of a free speech issue it is. than the Second Amendment it issue. is the yeah. uh, ACLPU whatever what is, what is that one organization A L C U American or A C L U A C L U that's it. is it late it is late the A C L U should be all over this uh, the A C L U should jump in this and, and call B S on this and they sh- they should be following suit yeah. All righty. So, yeah. I don't even know what to say about that, except that we're reporting on it and letting you know this is bull crap. <laughs> uh, if you'd like, you know what? Send send messages, send emails, send letters to members of the city council of Los Angeles and uh, say that, hey, this is not cool. And you're probably going to get sued in federal court or state court initially, and then probably ultimately federal court, because the state court in California will probably rule in favor of Los Angeles. But anyway, you'll probably get sued because of First Amendment violations, in my opinion. Yeah. So, all right. Foxnews.com reports, Democrats reject push to alert ICE, that is the Immigration Customs Enforcement uh, Agency, or at least it's part of an agency, uh, when illegal immigrants fail firearm background checks. This is amazing. It really is. So think about this. Okay. Illegal immigrant goes into dealer, tries to buy gun, doesn't pass the background check. Now, you should know that depending on why you're not passing the background check, it could be a felony that you even tried. Yeah. Right. Right. <clears throat> now, in this case, I don't know that it, you know, why they're failing. It doesn't specify you know, all the re- if there's a specific reason. But the point is, at very least... Um, there is an expectation that when someone fails a background check that, that the government is going to investigate that person, okay, to some degree, especially if they're a felon and that's why they failed, then that, you know, they just committed another felony by trying to buy. But anyway, the, the point is you would think that it would make sense that this person's here illegally and they just tried to buy a gun 
and maybe we should at least investigate them. Yeah. So it, it, it's just <laughs> the hip the hypocrisy here is the reason me and Riley included this one because it's yeah. it's just so mind blowing that it's like. <laughs> I, I I can't fathom this that we 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 we're trying to pass a, a federal universal background check law at the national level because heaven forbid that a law-abiding gun owner even be able to purchase a gun without going through a background check system that that mm-hmm. supposedly we are all supposed to believe in that it actually would do some good, but when an illegal immigrant fails to pass the background check in that same system you know we have le- politicians who are rejecting the request that yeah. ice actually uh, be alerted that yeah. they even be informed that this has happened yeah yeah so this was actually an amendment proposed by Florida representative Greg Stube uh, and he was saying hey I you know this is a an amendment to House Resolution 8, which is the universal, this is the universal background check bill that the House is proposing right now, the now, you know, democratically controlled House of Representatives. And Representative Stube, I guess that's how you say his name, he was like, look, I want to, here's an amendment that requires law enforcement be notified when an individual attempting to purchase a firearm fails a federal background check. But they didn't want to allow that amendment to, uh, you know, to be included as part of that bill. And it seems that when digging a little bit deeper, the reason they didn't want that was for failure, for fear of, I guess, making the illegal immigrants feel bad. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, there you have it. There you have it. Uh, hypocrisy, of course, at the highest levels, which probably comes as no surprise really to anybody, especially on issues surrounding guns. South Dakota now joins a premier group, a club of states. Uh, 14 of them, in fact, that are known as constitutional carry states. If you're not familiar with the term, constitutional carry is basically the ability to carry, you know, lawfully a concealed firearm or concealed weapon, depending on the state, uh, you know, without having to go through a permitting process. Without So carrying a gun in any manner you choose, essentially, without having to ask the government for permission, which I think is awesome. Not that I, I mean, I also think people should get training, not necessarily as a requirement to carry that gun by law. It's just that it's a responsibility thing, of course, right? But South Dakota has now signed into law constitutional carry. It is the law of the land there. Well, it goes into effect, I think, on July 1st. Yeah, July 1st, but right, right, they've yeah. signed into law. Right, so they'll, they'll be joining states such as Idaho, Wyoming, Arizona, Alaska, North Dakota, Kansas, Missouri, Mississippi, West Virginia, Maine, Vermont, and New Hampshire. So these are all states that say, you don't need to give us money. You do not need to go through a background check. You do not need to fill in paperwork at all. You just need to uh, be a human uh, present here in our state. Yeah. Now, some, now, there are just a warning here, just because it's important for some of you who may live in some of these states or or maybe you live in South Dakota. Um, there are always some degree of restrictions. So it's not it's not a complete like legal, like carry any gun anywhere, anyhow. Like there's there's still going to be some things that are not allowed or you might, you know, there might be certain situations or places where uh, it doesn't apply or you might have to be a citizen. Some of these states, constitutional carry only applies to their own citizens, not a visitor from another state. Um, and so anyway, just, just know that, you know, that like all other gun laws, you know, there are some state specific, uh, you know, things yep. that are in place there. Yeah, and you'd have to have a, a permit, unfortunately, uh, to have reciprocity and carry in other states. Right. So South so, Dakota is not re- getting rid of their permitting program. A person yep. could still go and get a South Dakota permit should they choose. Yep. And South Dakota is a state that has two different classes of permits, if I remember correctly. And they're following the same. Yeah. Yes, they do. They have they the enhanced one enhanced. as well. Yeah. But they're following the same model that other states have followed as far as you know, allowing constitutional carry for just you know within the state, but still having the provision that allows you to get a permit so you can carry when you leave the state, like Idaho, well, Missouri Idaho, is in that group yep. as well. Almost every single one of those I said, except for sure. Vermont, right? right so right. Arizona, Wyoming, North Dakota, Kansas, Missouri, Mississippi, West Virginia, yep. uh, New Hampshire, Maine, and Alaska. But uh, yeah, Idaho is going to be like is the now new best example compared to South Dakota, right? Because now Idaho and South Dakota will both have constitutional carry, basic permit, and enhanced, and enhanced. permit. Yep, yeah. exactly. There's a statement here from Everytown for Gun Safety. 
about this law in South, South Dakota, and they said, this would allow people to carry hidden, loaded handguns in public without a permit, threatening public safety in South Dakota. Yeah, they're such idiots. <laughs> and, of course, you know, us enlightened folk understand that already, I mean, by nature of being a criminal, you think the, the law doesn't apply to you. So well, thus, criminals already have permission, that's in air quotes, to carry hidden, loaded handguns in public without a permit. Yeah, yeah. this just goes in that category of show me the data, you know, Jacob stuff. Yep. You know, I got a list of Jacob things where my, my response is always, show me the data. Show me the data that suggests, because we have track record. When you're, when you're proposing something that's completely new, that we're inventing out of thin air and saying we should pass this law, great. We got no data. We're all guessing what will happen. But in this case, when you're, when you're proposing something, in this case, we passed a law. It's not just proposed, but it's been passed. That, that is a law that already exists in a dozen other states. We have track record. We have data. So, so every town for gun safety, show me the data that would suggest in any way, shape, or form that in these other states that have constitutional carry, and some of them now for over 10 years, that mm-hmm. these people are any more likely to, to hurt public safety than in states where we don't have constitutional permitless carry. So yeah. good luck with that. I remember even in a place like Idaho that's very conservative, very pro-Second Amendment, uh, very much controlled uh, at the state level by by Republicans, actually, uh, which generally lead towards the Second Amendment side of things, right? Uh, there was quite a debate, even in Idaho, when they were looking at passing constitutional carry, including people, reasonable people, even gun-loving folk, as they would describe themselves, uh, that were kind of not really on the constitutional carry uh, uh, bandwagon that claimed things like, well, we're concerned with this means for our communities uh, that now we don't have a, you know, like people, it's like people lose their minds when they don't have a process for how to handle certain, what has been governmental administrative functions. And there's not been any problems, you know, as this is no no surprise, no news to most of the rest of us, but there hasn't been any problems with constitutional carry in Idaho being passed. Uh, anyway, all right, so now we get to another pretty exciting, depending on where you live, it doesn't apply to me or Jacob for that matter, uh, but, uh, oh wait, hold on, I, skipped I jumped over one here, uh, actually, so story out of New York, and this should come as no surprise. Uh, this, according to the jurist.org, New York governor signs red flag gun bill into law. So Andrew Cuomo, New York governor, uh, and he was joined by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. They, <laughs> he signed the red flag gun protection bill in uh, Albany, New York on Monday. Uh, so this, of course, known also as an extreme risk protection order, uh, flew right through... New York legislature and right to Governor Cuomo's desk. So red flag law is now law of the land in New York state. Uh, This law will go into effect in 180 days in six months. But uh, there you go. There's another one that's joining the red red flag law list. Yep. I I don't know that I have any comment. I think we've talked red flag laws to death. To death. I'm ready to move on. Now, uh, Cool news out of South Carolina. Jacob, why don't you give us a rundown on this? Yeah, and a, a quick, first of all, a quick apology. This is actually something that changed in very late December, right before New Year's Day. And somehow it slipped the cracks on our end. Like we were pretty dedicated to watching like a hawk and being aware when any gun law changes. Uh, we invest a great deal of time, energy, and money into making sure we find out when these things change. And somehow... This one fell through the cracks for me, and so we uh, we received an email from a customer, a listener, I don't know how somebody, and um, they they let us know that we had something that was outdated on our yep. site. So here's the deal: uh, in late December, South Carolina chose to begin to honor permits from two states that it previously did not honor, and those would be the states of Minnesota and Nebraska. So for those of you who are from Nebraska and have a Nebraska concealed carry permit, that permit is now honored in South Carolina. And I don't know why I just said that with a Southern accent. I don't think Nebraska speaks with a Southern. <laughs> I'm pretty sure no one in Nebraska. Anyway, so apologize to anyone Nebraskans who 
who think that was offensive. Uh, and also Minnesota. And Minnesota, they do got an accent. It's something like Minnesota. I don't know. I can't say it. Where's Mitch? <laughs> anyway, uh, Mitch is from Minnesota. So if you're from Minnesota and you have a Minnesota permit, you now can carry in South Carolina. So, hey, how do you say, how do Minnesotans say Minnesota? Come on over here, Minnesotan. Oh, Minnesota. I, I, just, I just say Minnesota. Minnesota. He sounds. He sounds normal. No, he still like emphasizes the soda, like it's a, like it's a soda. Wait, we say Minnesota. We say boat. Boat. Yeah. Boat. Yeah. Boat. <laughs> boat, boat, for boat. Take take your goat for riding the goat in the boat. Your yard goat. Take your yard goat for riding the boat. Minnesota. <laughs> okay. So anyway, the short of it is um, South Carolina now honoring some permits. They previously did not honor. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Well, uh, yeah. So there's some great news, you know, and some not so great news, depending on where you are, what state you're in. You know, just as a, I guess as an encouragement from me, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, I hope all of our listeners will try to find some way to engage and to be involved in the governmental process uh, locally, you know, with cities and county governments, um, and also at their state level, and of course federally too. Uh, be you know, and what does that what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, go to city council meetings, go to county commissioner meetings, go to you know, go and testify uh, or appear at hearings at your state legislature. There's all kinds of things going on right now all across the country. We haven't even touched the, you know, on on half of it, not even close to that. We can't possibly talk, unfortunately, about all of the legislative things that are going on right now in all the various states and counties and cities. We we try to pick and choose the ones we think are most applicable or kind of the biggest deal. Uh, but but get involved and let your voice be heard. I truly believe that if all Second Amendment supporters got actively involved and engaged with government in lobbying, not as even an organization, but just purely grassroots. If we all just did our part to write, email, call our representatives, our senators, and let them know how we feel about things, if we all did that, the power would be huge. The impact would be tremendous. So, this is just Riley's little plea, you know, get involved. Uh, it's something that I've I've done some things. I've done some really exciting things, actually, in my local uh, school district just this last year and uh, working on things there. So anyway, folks, uh, that brings us to the conclusion of our news for tonight. If you want to stay up to date yeah. on the latest firearm legislative news and up to date on all the laws changing <laughs> around you, near you, and states in this country... Visit concealedcarry.com forward slash app today to download the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. Brought to you by concealedcarry.com, this app features legal updates for all 50 states plus D.C. Find out what state laws are changing near you today. You are the worst ad person ever. My copywriting should, could probably use some improvement. We should, we should hire, you know, the dude that does all the voices for, like, movie trailers. Yeah. In a land before time. No, I don't know. So, anyway. But seriously, uh, guys, uh, you know, these legislative updates are, are possible because we invest a lot to keeping track of all these kinds of things. And so, if you want to always make sure you know what the laws are in your state or the or state near you, you can go to concealedcarry.com on our on your on our website, and you can click on laws in the main menu there, and you can look up things by topic. So if you want to say, hey, what states have already passed constitutional carry, you can check on that and pull it all up. If you want to look things up by state, so I want to see what's what's the deal in Minnesota, then you can click on that and you can pull it up and see everything you want to know about Minnesota. You can find out, you know, do you have a duty to law, to inform law enforcement if you're pulled over? Uh, what's the deal with uh, carry in state parks, national parks? What about restaurants? to serve alcohol. If Minnesota doesn't honor your permit, then how can you still have a firearm in your vehicle as a non-permittee? Um, and, and, and on and on and on and so so many of those things. So please check that out at concealedcare.com. And if you want to have that on the go, download our super awesome duper snooper amazing app, which is free. Uh, just go into the App Store or Google Play and search for Concealed Carry 
Uh, the full app name is Concealed Carry Gun Tools, but I always tell people just type in Concealed Carry and it should be in the top three results. Yep. Awesome. A reminder that uh, today's episode also brought to you by Guardian Nation. Again, a reminder that you have two days from the time that we're recording this, basically, to sign up for Guardian Nation, if you're not already, to be, you know, to, to hit the deadline, be before the, you know, be in before the deadline uh, for monthly paying Guardian Nation subscribers to qualify for the next box, which ships in May. And boy, we've been getting some great feedback on this latest box we sent. People seem to really be loving uh, 1791 Gun Leather Holster, the Ankle IFAC, the Snag, snag Mag. You know, people yeah. just eating that stuff up. So, and, you know, those of you that we know, many of our Guard Nation members are loyal podcast listeners. Thank you so much, guys. We appreciate your support. It means a lot to us. Uh, and also, uh, Real Avid, uh, concealcarry.com forward slash Real Avid. Go check out cool tools available right now for sale on our site. Uh, that brings us to our weekly podcast giveaway winner announcement. Jacob? Oh, yeah, yeah. the same. I've got Rafflecopter here pulled up. We've got, uh, boy, a uh, bunch. I mean, it takes me... I haven't even scrolled to the bottom of the list yet. We have a bunch of you that have signed up this week for the weekly podcast giveaway. Now, if you don't know how to do that, it's easy. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize. That is a a live link all the time, you know, 24-7. Uh, each week, though, at Monday night at midnight, that resets and moves over to the next new giveaway. So every week from Tuesday through Tuesday, you need to at some point go in to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize and sign up for the giveaway. It's easy. It's free to do. No expectations. You don't even have to be present to win. Uh, just make sure that you have signed up once a week and you'll be included in the giveaway and have a chance to win some great prizes. And if you share it, if you click the additional little share option when you sign up for the giveaway, you get extra entries as well. And I'll just say, guys and gals, um, not many of you did that this week. There were so, 124 total entries. So some of you missed out on extra yeah. entries because you just didn't share. The odds of winning are pretty good at these things. I mean, at 124 yeah. total entries, if you'd gotten three or four extra entries, I mean, that's, that's pretty dang good. Cammy says on Facebook, uh, it's closed. I think I'm fixing it right now. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I think we actually failed to get the new one moved onto the page. <laughs> Sorry about that, Cammy. Jacob's fixing it right now. It'll be there ready to go um, in just a few minutes because he's very fast at doing stuff like that. Um, so just do that each week. Make sure you sign up. You'll be included in next week's prize. So I'm going to go ahead and click the button that generates our random winner drum roll. This week, winner of, oh, what's the prize? The prize is a Real Avid multi-cutter multi-tool. This is a great prize. Uh, it's an awesome prize, I think. And so the lucky winner this week, hopefully he's listening to the podcast, uh, is Kevin M. His last name starts with M. Kevin M. He has the digits 04 in his email address. Okay. Kevin, regardless, some of you, who knows, there could be multiple Kevin M's. Uh, maybe even with a 04 in their email address. But Kevin, I will be emailing you and notifying you that you are a lucky winner of a real avid multi-cutter multi-tool. Congrats, Kevin. And folks, again, go to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize to make sure you're signed up. Uh, this next week, we are giving away copies of Vehicle Firearm Tactics DVDs. Uh, super excited about that. It's a great training product. We spent a lot putting, you know, we poured our hearts and souls into creating vehicle firearm tactics. Uh, it's a great training, great training video. Uh, literally had to, sh we, we, we had to acquire a car so we could train in and around it and also eventually shoot it. <laughs> so we could demonstrate things like shooting through windows, shooting through windshields, inside and outside, shooting through doors, uh, using effective cover around the vehicle. You know, what kind of things to expect uh, when you're shooting around a vehicle or, or shooting into a vehicle or even skipping rounds off a hood. You know, if that's, you know, what, what, how important it is to actually 
not be right up on top of the car when you're taking cover behind it because if a round skips off the hood, you, you'll more likely to catch that in, the, in your face. You know, stuff like that. Lots yeah. of great stuff in the Vehicle Firearm Tactics course. Uh, DVD, it's available, of course, for sale on our site all the time. Uh, and we are giving away copies of that DVD in this week's Facebook Live on Thursday. And anybody that signs up at concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize next Tuesday will announce the winner of Vehicle Firearm Tactics DVD. Yep, there you go. There's a reason why taking a class like this generally costs about $2,000 and you have to go to one of like five destination training academies to do it. So um, it's a good DVD for, I think we sell it for, it's sub 40 bucks. I think it's thirty seven sixty two. It sounds like the kind of price we would have it at. I think it is thirty seven sixty two. You might start noticing trends about prices on our website. We, 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 where possible, we use calibers and yeah, things. We, we try. It's why, 1776. That's why Guardian Nation's 3845. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, check that out. Good DVD and uh, some lucky people will uh, be winning a copy, it sounds like. There you go. Well, that brings us to the conclusion here. Thanks to everyone joining us on Facebook. Thanks to all of you, our loyal, longtime, passionate podcast listeners. Uh, hey, you know what? Share the podcast with somebody this week. I don't know if you've ever done that, but maybe you might, you know, find that coworker, a friend, a family member that also loves guns and concealed carry just as much as you do. And you might just mention to them, hey, there's a cool podcast, concealed carry podcast. You should like totally check it out. And they give stuff away, you know. So anyway, thanks guys. We appreciate you. Have a great night. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.